my name is David Irvin, and I want to welcome you all to our podcast session on Conversations with Authentic Leaders. Just to give you a little bit of background here, I've been in the leadership development field for the last uh, more than 30 years now. I've thought deeply and and, uh, reflectively about what does it take to be a leader. And this whole notion of authenticity started probably about a dozen years ago when I did some very in-depth research with probably about 4,000 people. And I asked people in a survey, essentially, what do you expect from your leaders? And what I got back, I could, could be per- percolated down probably to one sentence, and that is that we want our leaders to get past the fads and the gimmicks and the flavors of the month, and we just want our leaders to be real. So I started to write a book about real leadership. I actually used to think you had to know something to write a book about it, and what I discovered is if you want to learn something, write a book about it and travel around the country and talk about it for 10 years and you'll learn something. And this is why I write, because I'm passionate about learning. I'm curious. I I just want to keep learning about uh, what what does it mean to to live fully and to lead with the greatest amount of impact. And so this notion of, you know, being a a real leader, I started to write a book about what does it mean to be a real leader. We want our, our, uh, you know, leaders to get past the fads and the gimmicks and to be human and to be real. So I started to write this book, and what I discovered was that before you can be a real leader, you first of all have to be a real human being. And so my work shifted from a leadership focus to a personal focus, and I wanted to really understand people's stories and people's... uh, How does one uh, develop the capacity to influence others? I define leadership as the ability to inspire the commitment of others to pursue a mission. And what is that ability? You know, it, my definition stems from the fact that it, it's not, it's, it's being able to influence people without using positional authority. And so I, what I have been doing this last dozen years is to really help people, uh, guide people, and learn from people about what it is that it takes to be a leader. And what I've discovered is that there are rich stories that come out when people think about how do you become a leader. Many, many leadership books are written today with the notion of what do leaders do and how, what can you do differently to be a better leader. And these are all very useful books to help you be more effective. But my, my focus is not so much on the tool, the tools or the titles, but my focus is not so much on the tools, but my focus is on the tool user. How do you become who you are? How do you become the kind of person that it takes to make the kind of difference that you're making in the world today? And so that naturally led to a podcast series where what I'm doing is I'm having conversations with what I call daily incredible leaders, people who every day make a tremendous difference in the lives of their organizations, in the lives of the people that they serve, who are tremendous leaders. And what I want to hear is not so much what you do, but how do you become the person that it takes to be able to make the difference that you're making in an organization. And so I have the good fortune to to, uh, have conversations with some people who have been identified as authentic leaders or who I have seen 
as being authentic leaders. And I have with me today, I have the good fortune to introduce you to a man named Calvin Waite. Now, Calvin Waite is the facility manager in a school division, the Elk Island School Division, which is just east of Edmonton, Alberta, here in Western Canada. And Calvin and his team were in a leadership development program that I gave last year. Now, Calvin, what I noticed is his ability to inspire his team. He had an engaged group of employees. And I thought, this guy knows how to lead. And I thought, I got to get his story. I want to find out how did he become the kind of person that enabled him to have the influence that he was having on his team. So I'm going to introduce you now to, to Calvin. I can got to tell you, he's a real gentleman. He's a decent human being. He's doing incredibly important work and making an amazing difference. He's humble and he's human. And I would suspect in my conversations with Calvin that he may not even see himself as a leader. That's one of the qualities that I have seen in all the leaders that I've been interviewing. And I don't even call them interviews that I have conversations with to hear their story. But one of his qualities is that he's humble. And that is paradoxically what enables him to make some of the difference that he's making. So, Kel, welcome to our podcast today. And why don't you just start off by just saying a little, just telling the, uh, our listeners a little bit about uh, what a facilities manager does in a school division. Um, yes, I'm a director of facilities management with the Elk Island Public School Board in Alberta, the sixth largest school board. Um, <clears throat> what my duties entail are the maintenance and operations of uh, 43 different facilities. Um, that's maintaining them on a daily basis from custodial to the electrical and mechanical systems, uh, replacing everything from boiler systems to rooftop units to roofing to flooring, uh, as well as that is uh, construction falls within the portfolio too, and that's the building of uh, new schools, uh, modernizing new uh, schools, and also um, taking a look at replacement schools. And really, in a nutshell, that's what the, uh, the duties are all about. Cal, do you have, do, do you see yourself as a leader? How many? I see, you know what, I see myself more um, as, as a director, I serve 35 staff members. And that's how I, how I view it with them, as I'm there as a, a tool to help them to get their jobs done. So I see myself more in a server uh, placement. And how would you, I find it fascinating, you use the word service, uh, servant. Um, tell me what that would mean to you. What that means, um, a lot of, again, there's um, a staff of 35 that are responding to me. And a lot of times these staff, um, by being genuine and caring with them, and, and the word is genuine, being genuine with them, because staff will see right through that if you're not, is... Being open to them all the time, being there for them, listening to um, their needs and helping them right from their professional needs right through to their personal needs. This quality of being genuine, what does that actually mean to you? I have, you know, I've, had, I've been very fortunate to have um, people I respond to that I could tell they, they really were caring. They were really... 
concerned about what was happening with me, both in my personal and professional life. And I've also had leaders that I've responded to that will, the typical, how was your day as they're walking away and not really listening. To me, you need to listen when you ask how the day has stopped. Listen to what they have to say. If they say, hey, morning's going great, and they leave, fantastic. Other times, I get into their stories. I hear what they have to say, what's going on in their life at that time. I believe that's what's being genuine. So I have to ask you, how do you account for your capacity to have that kind of genuineness and humility and humanness that it takes to be able to reach your staff the way that you do. Can you articulate that? Well, what I can say to that is it was definitely a learning um, as well as life experiences that brought me to uh, the point that I've gotten to. And there's been oh several um, what I'd like to define as major events that have brought me to the person that I am. Um, and prior to these events, to be blunt and, and honest, um, when I look about how I was before these events, I didn't like myself. But then I went through uh, various uh, events that have helped me to grow uh, personally, which I brought into my professional life. And um, I think that that, is, that was a long road that got me here, but uh, it, all, it all began from, from an early age. You know, I always say, Cal, that there are defining moments, and this is one of the things that I do. I take leaders away for, for four days, and we shut off our technology and take an inner, what I call an inner journey, a journey to the other Everest, to a deeper part of ourselves. just because there's so many, uh, so much of our society that, that honors going upward and outward, and, you know, the next height and the next summit, which is what the you know, I, I, the metaphor that I use is the Everest, but the deeper part of ourself is, you know, it, just like the deeper part of the world is more than 8,000 meters below sea level, it's in the Mariana Trench, it's like an inverted Everest. And I always say that success isn't just about height, it's also about depth. And this is one of the things that I recognized about your capacity to lead these individuals in that workshop is that you bring a depth to you. Now that may not be recognized, but I hope that our, our listeners can understand and be inspired by your story, because I'd like to know what some of those defining moments were. If you, can, if you would, were to track back your life and say, how did you go from the person you were to the person you are today? It isn't just about experience, it's about experience and then understanding and having an awareness and learning from our experiences that helps us mature and deepen our what I call authentic presence. Can you just give us some of those defining moments for you, uh, Cal, in terms of how you would define your own personal development as a leader and as a human being? Sure, I can uh, definitely um, speak to those. So, again, this isn't a... Um, a poor me uh, story. This is. I look at every everything that I've gone through as being really a positive, um, especially reflecting upon it, as it's made me who I am today. But to, just to begin with, uh, growing up, um, 
Uh, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. I won't get into the details of how dysfunctional, but let's just say there was uh, there was a, a mental, emotional, spiritual, physical uh, abuse that I grew up with. And then at the age of three, um, I was really parenting my mom. And to this day, I mean, uh, she's still alive, and she will admit to that, that I was very young, and I was more the parent than she was. And to be fair, she was a very young mother. She was 17 when I was when I was born. But anyway, growing up in that um, uh, in that home, at the age of 16, uh, I was waiting for my 16th birthday just to move out and be on my own to take care of my life and plan a direction for my life. So I did that at the age of 16. 18, when I was 18, that was the first defining moment of my life. Again, I, I have to echo what I said earlier. I wasn't the person that people really wanted to be around. Even I didn't want to. I knew it was a lot of to do with insecurities and not liking myself. But at the age of 18, I was in a vehicle accident on Highway 2, heading out to uh, just past the town of Leduc. And uh, it was December 1st, 1979, and there was a 44-car pileup on which I was the seventh car in that uh, accident. And what happened to me is we hit black ice, and my car slid in, hit a tow truck, and spun on the highway and hit a semi that was parked on the side of the road, causing the floorboard of my vehicle to warp and cut off my left foot at that time. Uh, right in the accident was left um, attached just by the heel as well as damaging my other foot um, uh, where I lost three toes in the accident, degloved the foot and broke every single bone in there. So suffice it to say um, I had lost really a uh, foot and then three toes um, that day. Um, being in the hospital, I was in a coma for a week and um, when I came out of the coma, first words out of my mouth, um, my, my mom and dad were there and some friends, but I sat up and I just said, there is a God. What made me say that? Because I was not a believer prior to I don't know. But I did hear words that said, not yet. I won't say where those words came from, but I did hear them. When I came out of the coma, I had a visit from an RCMP officer, and this RCMP officer took a picture of the vehicle that I was driving. And he had taped it up by my bed, and uh, it was a blown up picture. He came to visit me um, my first or second day out of the coma. And he came to tell me how fortunate I was to still be alive. He said, I've been in the, the, you know, an RCMP officer for many years, and I see a lot less damage in vehicles and people not make it. And that really struck me right there, that, that I was very fortunate to be alive. I, at no point in time did I feel sorry for myself, nor did I, was, was I concerned about what was going to happen to me from this point going forward. I was fitted with a prosthesis, and um, I was way ahead of rehabilitation. I rehabilitated myself, actually, because I found that they were keeping me slow uh, in my healing uh, progression. But what I did was I found that life was so good and so exciting and the doctor, I obviously made a very big impression with the doctor also. He had another patient who came in just after I left that had an amputation below the knee uh, in a train accident, and he was depressed. And he had me come and visit him 
um, a couple, three weeks after he was in there, and he was depressed, never going to walk again. Uh, I came and I did a hospital visitation with him, and he was, I don't want to say rude, but he was reluctant and um, and wasn't happy with me being there and didn't understand why I was there or why or how I would know what he was going through. Um, at that point, I was actually hopping uh, on my prosthesis. And I showed him how he could lead a normal life. He was, um, it elevated his, his spirits, and he was out of the hospital within two, three weeks and fitted with a prosthesis. So that was the journey of, of, my, of my caring for people. And I had done several other visitations where I went in to see people to lift up their spirits and to show them that there's nothing, uh, that this will not hold them back. It's just something for them to overcome. Um, also during that period, uh, I started jogging again. Within one year of being out of the hospital, I was running. Um, I was participating with the Alberta Amputee Sports and Recreation Association at that time. And uh, at one point, they have, and I have a letter in my possession that was talking about um, their confidence in my ability to run 100 meters, 200 meter races. Um, and they believed that with my speed and, the, um, and my ability, that they felt that I could possibly compete in the um, uh, Can-Am Games in New York, um, as well as prepare myself um, for Paralympics. Anyway, that uh, never came to fruition because uh, where I was working, the employer at the time couldn't afford to let uh, to let me go. Um, after the amputation, I was married at the at a very young age of 22, and uh, we were married for just uh, 21 years. Um, and during that marriage, it was very very difficult. And to be fair, again, it was a it, it was a positive experience. Um, my wife at the time was 16 when she met me, and I was 20. She was 18 when she married me. She didn't have any life experiences. So we went through a very difficult uh, marriage and we had two children from that marriage. And I stayed the majority of it for my two girls. Um, the marriage really had fallen apart. Um, that's something else that I've learned to, uh, to, to, to have some compassion and to understand how people can make decisions in their life, especially at a young age, that can uh, lead them into an area they don't want to be. But that wasn't the second uh, major event that helped change who I was. The second one was my father's suicide. Um, my father worked uh, out in Strathcona County as the deputy fire chief. Uh, he was there for over 20 years. And um, he was let go. Um, he thought for sure he was going to be the fire chief, but they went in a different direction by bringing somebody in from Ontario. He didn't uh, take that very well, and it took him quite a few years. He never recovered, and eventually he, he took his life. That was devastating to me and to the family, and I, and I didn't understand because I viewed him as a very strong uh, man. Um, but what his, his suicide did for me was it made me realize that he made his job, his career, his identity. It was who he was, and he couldn't recuperate once he lost that. And I was determined, I'm never going to do that. Never was I going to make my career my identity. So also with that, what happened to me uh, shortly after that was my father's suicide. My best friend was, was like my brother. Um, 
he passed on with cancer. And for me, it stopped, my body shut down, stopped producing serotonin, and I fell into a, a serious deep depression for two years, um, from 94 till 96. And during that period, I did a lot of reflecting. Um, I had spent the first month of depression in bed. I could not get out of bed. And um, going through that, I can say from experience that depression is so debilitating and it's so hard on you that I would give up another limb instead of going through depression again. That is how bad I found depression, how horrible it is. But what the positive side of depression did for me was help me to recognize it and become more compassionate. When I was uh, finally out of depression, I had changed jobs and gone to a different employer. And I was working there for a year. And I had an employee who was an electrician who was away a lot from work. We knew he had problems with um, alcohol. And the employer decided, you know, it's time to let him go. He, he must leave the organization. And I had said to the human resources department, give me some time with him. I need to talk with him. They agreed to do that. One day, as I had left my office to go look for him in the back shop, I happened to come across him. And he was a man that was a, a good um, decade older than me at the time. Um, and he, I found him crouched in a shop in a corner. And when I looked into his eyes, I could see that depression. And that's what going through the depression did for me. It helped me to recognize that. I was able to speak with human resources department. We got him help. We sent him to a local uh, place to help him with his alcoholism. He came, he became to become one of my better electricians. It was two years after that, that he made an impact on me. He came into my office and he said, Cal, I want to let you know that two years ago, you saved my life. He says, I was in depression and I was suicidal and I was going to take my life that day. That meant so much to me, you know, to hear that back from him. That is not what I, I was expecting. I just thought, oh, okay, here's a man who's in depression. I'm going to help him. I did not think of me saving his life. That never, ever, ever occurred to me. But that's what he told me. So I have used that. And I've seen a lot of people going through depression, and I've recognized that. And, I, and I've gone to help them. Um, I, I did again in, uh, in 2006. I remarried to a wonderful lady, so loyal, so compassionate, and wonderful to talk to. And, and we've been married now for 12 years, happily. And we have two young boys. That has also developed me too. That's given me a lot of, um, um, well, people call it immaturity, but I say it's just, I kept me young. Um, but another uh, life-changing moment in my life was in 2016, I had a heart attack. And from that heart attack, I went through the rehabilitation, spoke to numerous people, doctors, nurses, psychologists, and what they told me was it was stress that caused the heart attack on me and that I need to learn to do, uh, to manage my stress. And David, from there, what I've done is I've spoke to my staff and I realized that I was falling into a trap again. Not that I was making the career my identity, but I was working long hour days. and. I just putting so much stress on myself. I thought there's got to be a better way of managing this. And with that, I've also been 
the past this school year emphasizing with all my staff self-care awareness you need to be self-care if you're working 10 11 12 hour days you need to come and see me we need to work through this we need to find an answer so i would say basically those four major events in my life from the amputation the suicide the depression the heart attack has brought me to a point in my career where it's all about the people and it's all about helping them to be productive both in their personal and professional life well that's this is incredible uh your vulnerability and your openness and your honesty about these experiences cal and i so appreciate you sharing them you know, it, it just it just brings to mind that so many of these experiences that you had uh, were often, at the time, would have been viewed as very negative, as there's something wrong, perhaps, with you, uh, this is going to be damaging in your life, but they actually transformed you into the person and capabilities that you have today. And I'm just curious as to how can you articulate how that happened and what was in you that you would that you would uh, take these experiences and almost like an oyster irritated by a grain of sand turn it into a pearl somehow how, how did you do that and and what was in you to bring your awareness to do that and it's this is all 2020 vision looking backwards but uh, how would you articulate that you turned those horrible experiences into somehow or other a gift? I would say it was the first major event. To me, it was when, when I had the accident and the amputation, a lot of that credit I have to give to that RCMP officer. You know, when he said to me, you are very fortunate to be alive, I have seen many people with less damage to a vehicle and not survive. That hit me so hard. When he said, I thought, yeah, I am very lucky to be alive. And then I, I, I took the amputation, and at not any point did I look at it as a, any negative aspect to it. I just looked at it as positive, and I thought to myself, I'm going to move forward with this. It was sheer determination. I thought, I'm going to do this right. And when I was dealing with the professionals, and no, no offense to the professionals, the physiotherapists and, and them, I found that they wanted me to follow the book. This is, you're going to take this long to start to be fitted with the prosthesis. You're going to have to rehabilitate, uh, come to see us weekly. You're going to go through a walker. You're going to go through crutches. You're going to go through a cane before you can walk on your own. And I kept thinking, no. I just need to get up and I just need to walk. And I did that on my own. And you know, I went in to see the physiotherapist and I remember this was the one discouraging part of it. I was so excited about what I had done in just a matter of weeks. And I walked into her area and she turned around and was so upset with me because I moved outside of their guidelines. And she told me, you are gonna damage yourself and you're going to limp for the rest of your life. And I thought, no, I'm not. And that RCMP officer is the one, I think, that just right off the bat when I look back gave me that, yes, I am lucky to be alive and we take, we got to grab this life and live it to the fullest. I would say that was a very defining moment. Just for our uh, 
our United States listeners, RCMP is our uh, national police force up here. <laughs> it's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, for those of you who may not be aware. But this, it's an amazing thing how these people come into our lives and somehow or other lift us in ways that we could not have planned uh, to help us transform our lives. And then we, in turn, are able to do that for others. Just like that police officer was able to plant a seed within you, you were able to plant a seed with your employee. So all of these experiences shaped you into being a better person. And how are, have you ever been able to identify and build that link between being a better person and your ability to lead? That leadership is based on your humanness, which has been shaped and informed by all of these series of life events that you've had. Can you speak to that anymore, Cal? You know, again, what I what else I, I've got to say is um, the RCMP is, is the one factor I think that changed my life. But I, I also want to add that at that time I was also lost in in my life because my focus was becoming a police officer. That is where I wanted to go with my career, and with the amputation, that was now out of question. I didn't know what was going to happen to me or where I was going to go, and I was very lost. Um, I was still very positive. I wasn't feeling negative, but I was lost. What am I going to do now with my life? But you know, another thing I, I just wanted to throw in there was my grandfather. We did not have um, a great relationship, but he came to visit me every single Sunday while I was in the hospital for three months. And he started me on an interesting path, too, with um, reading books, which was never an interest to me. I was always the physical guy. Let's play football. Let's play baseball. To sit down and read a book. Are you kidding? No way. Well, he brought me a book called Rich Man, Poor Man, hardcover book. Really, outside of school, the first book I read. And he said to me, I'm going to do this every Sunday. I'm going to come and visit you, Cal. And he said, and I'm going to bring a book, and you're going to talk to me about the book you read this past week. You're going to tell me about it. And he got me so interested in reading, which helped me grow tremendously, that I was actually reading about 80 books a year at one point. And I was tracking the title of the author. I was reading the books. So I think he was a big influence, too. But his compassion made me realize that we're all humans. I mean, we know that. We're all human. But every single one of us, as you said at the opening, we all have a story. And I love to hear people's story. And that's what really um, connected me with you, David. You made that comment once. When you were speaking to us, you said you love to listen to stories. And so do I. But that also made an impact on me that I need to sit there and delve more into stories. People love to tell their stories. And people are going through things all the time. And I find that by bringing that into a leadership role, I learn and build relationships up with, with, with my staff that it's not a matter of, oh, you're a tradesperson that works for a director. It's a, we're a team. We're getting through this together. And I found that a lot even this Christmas. It's just we were so connected this Christmas prior to the break. But I, th I would add that's what brings it. Be genuine, build relationships. Cal, how in a busy, demanding world that we all live in, 
How do you make time to hear the stories of your team members, of your staff? And what difference does hearing those stories, and in what form do they come out, how does that impact the culture that you're creating there? This is, this is fascinating to me because what you're saying is that these aren't just roles or numbers or positions that you're managing. They're human beings and that you take the time to connect. From connecting with your own story, you are then able to understand the importance of helping people to connect with their story and what contribution they bring to the workplace. Cal, what would be, for our listeners, what would you suggest would be some lessons, some learning opportunities that you would like to convey from your experience, both as a leader and both as going through these defining moments that have helped make you who you are? What, what relevance is it for those of us who are listening in on this podcast? is life is wonderful human beings are wonderful get to know them Um, go through life with relationships it enriches you take all the negative that comes into your life and make those learning experiences the negative that is coming into your life the hardship that's coming into your life how can that be used to help your fellow humans and once you start, once you, once you take that attitude, it's amazing the blessings that come your way. It's the relationships you build. I mean, the relationship I I built up with you. It's it's been less than a year, David, and I feel that we are good friends, that we are really connected, and that's we listen to each other and we and we talk and we build on that relationship, and that's that's everybody. We live in such a time where where everything has got to be done immediately. Everything is so fast. The task set before us has to be done by the deadline tomorrow that we forget about those relationships and by developing those relationships those timelines are easily met once we have the relationships in place take the time build those relationships and you will find you have the time that's beautiful Kel is there anything that you could convey to our listeners in terms of going through hardships in their life to help them reframe and turn those hardships, reframe those hardships and turn them into a gift in the moment that they may be experiencing the hell of those hardships. What advice or 
experience could you give us that would help us along that way? You know, um, it sounds like it's, it's easier said. When I look at at the um, uh, the amputation, uh, suicide, the heart attack, <laughs> as severe as those are, those were easy. But those that are suffering with depression, again, it's trying to figure out that rationale. That that is again, depression is a very difficult thing. How did I pull myself out of the, the, the depression that I was in? Again, it was talking with the professionals, being as genuine as you can, talking to those professionals, and having strong support, loved ones around you, focusing on them, not trying not to focus on the depression, but focus on the light of them being there for you. And from there, let it progress. But always, always, one thing I've learned is every morning before I get out of bed, every morning I think of five things that I'm grateful for. I mean, they are different things every day. I mean, okay, my wife has almost every day. But uh, <laughs> I'm always focusing on five different things that I'm grateful for. And when I get out of bed in the morning, it's so much better. I'm in a better mood. I'm ready to get on with my day. And there have been times where I jump out of bed before doing that. As soon as I'm doing done doing what I've got to do, I'm back in bed. And I'm thinking, I'm not getting up until I have those five things. There's always five things to be grateful for. Focus on those. Cal, is, is, there, Cal, is there anything else that you would like to uh, say that I haven't asked you? Lessons learned, experiences had experiences as a leader, anything you'd like to add that I haven't asked you about? No, I think that we've covered it all, David. But uh, again, I'd, I'd like to say um, two things is work on the relationships. Most importantly, self-care. This is a society now where rest and relaxation, there's no value put into those, but those are so valuable in order to maintain that that healthy, balanced life. Make sure you take care of yourself. That would be my my line. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. Absolutely. Well, Cal, this has been incredible. It's exceeded my expectations. I just so appreciate what you've given us. You have demonstrated here the development of a decent human being. And by being a decent human being, you make an incredible difference in the world. And my passion and dream is to shine a light on this extraordinary leadership that you're exhibiting and that so many others that I see in the world are exhibiting, but they don't necessarily see it because it's not something that's necessarily newsworthy or something that you're going to read in the front page of a paper or something that you're going to get famous for. But deep inside, you know you're making a difference. You've made a difference with me today. And in our life, I so appreciate, too, our, our growing friendship. And I appreciate uh, it's, it's very mutual, this respect that we have for each other. And I've certainly been inspired by your life and by your presence. And I look forward to having uh, 
just continued contact with you in my life. Thanks so much for inspiring me and inspiring our listeners today.